At Eastern Bank, we believe that growing business should also grow the community. That's why we work to give all business owners what they need to take their dreams to the next level. Our dedication to small businesses and communities has inspired us to create the Equity Alliance for Business program and become the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running. We're proud to be here for all businesses, big and small. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com slash business. Member FDIC. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Say More from Boston Globe Opinion. I'm Shirley Leung. Israelis and Palestinians have been fighting for decades, but this time it feels different. Palestinian militants in Gaza have carried out an assault unprecedented in its scale in recent years. Israel stepping up its aerial assault again. Israel must again be a safe place for the Jewish people. Are we Palestinians equal human beings or not? Thousands are dead, Gaza is a war zone, and 200 Israeli hostages remain held by Hamas as of this recording. Countless families have been shattered, and peace feels as distant as ever. Demonstrations expressing support for Israel and solidarity with Palestinians are happening in cities around the world. This week, we bring you two experts on this conflict to go beyond the daily news cycle and think a bit bigger about the region and its future. We'll talk to Rashid Halidi, a Middle East historian at Columbia University. But first, I'm joined by Nadav Tamir, who is talking to us from Tel Aviv. Nadav is a former Israeli consul general to New England. He is now the director of J Street Israel, a nonprofit that organizes Americans to support peace and democracy in Israel. Nadav, welcome to Say More. Thank you so much for having me, Shirley. So what do you think is missing from the day-to-day coverage of this current conflict? Well, I have to say that I'm not watching the news in the U.S. or I'm watching it in Israel now that I'm here. So I'm not sure how the coverage is. Uh, But from past experience, I think that it's very hard to understand um, the psyche of Israelis, especially after this event that is the most horrific, tragic event that we had uh, in so uh, many years, maybe ever. Um, Israelis feel fear, anxiety, um, anger, and it's very hard today to listen to rational voices uh, in the Israeli uh, discourse. Looking back on the events of October 7th, what has come to light about the failures of this of the Israeli government to prevent this attack? Well, the failure is uh, huge, uh, but uh, we want to postpone the discussion about the failures 
to after the war, but it's clear that the failure was gigantic. Uh, we have a very sophisticated military, and the fact that with all of our intelligence capabilities and operational capabilities, we were surprised so badly, and that civilians were left unprotected in their homes is shocking to all of us. Israel must be shoring up its security right now and its intelligence, right? Yes, yes. And and I have to also thank uh, the American administration and the American people for the support. Uh, the way the Biden administration uh, embraced us in this time, you know, psychologically and operationally is uh, unprecedented. And it helps us a lot. Um, and I think that in some ways, the Biden administration also helped us make the right decisions uh, because as you all know, also from American experience, after an attack like this, this you know, 9-11, for example, sometimes you do things that uh, in retrospect you regret. And uh, I think that Israel is now at that moment that we might make some mistakes. And I think the Biden administration really helps our government to remind all of us um, the American experience. Uh, and it's very important. When you talk about mistakes, I mean, some have argued that Hamas was trying to bait Israel into a counterattack. Do you think the Israeli government is possibly playing directly into Hamas's strategy? I hope not, but I am indeed worried um, because it's it's the government. It's also a sentiment in the public that we have to retaliate strongly, that we have to uh, rehabilitate our deterrence. And I think that we might make some mistakes. For me, the most important priority right now is to get the hostages in the hands of Hamas back home. I do want to hope that this is the priority, but my feelings is that uh, the government might be too blinded by the um, political necessity to show strength that maybe they're not prioritizing the hostages as much as I would. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I've also wondered when I when I hear uh, what's coming out of the Israeli government, what I'm hearing, what's coming out of President Biden. Um, I wonder if their words are, are stronger, uh, you know, uh, in public, but privately there is some negotiation happening. I mean, do you think that's what's going on? Absolutely. I think that President Biden learned from the years he was uh, vice president with Obama um, that the best way to work with Israelis is to embrace them in public and do the tough talk in private. Uh, and I'm sure there is a lot of tough talk in private because uh, uh, for the U.S. administration, there are several considerations, for example, the fact that there are um, a significant amount of American citizens among the abductees in Gaza, uh, the fact that uh, the U.S. doesn't want to be dragged to another Middle Eastern war, and uh, if Hezbollah, Iran uh, gets even more into this, it might drag the U.S. Uh, and also, as I said, the lessons that uh, Biden, as the most experienced foreign policy president ever, um, understand what happened in Iraq, what happened in Afghanistan, what even happened in Vietnam, 
what happened to Israel in Lebanon, that sometimes you act with a lot of sense of justification, but then eventually you have to regret what you did. The, the military uh, response is necessary, but it has to be part of a, a, a strategy that has to include diplomacy, that has to include the international community. Um, and I'm afraid that many Israelis in those moments of conflict think that it's all about tactical military solutions and PR attempts, and they miss the diplomatic necessity and the exit strategy that you need before you get into uh, into a place like Gaza. I mean, do you think this, the Israelis government's um, current actions in Gaza will affect its popularity among Israeli people? Yes, but some of it we will only know in retrospect and in hindsight. Um, I, I was I fought in in the first Lebanon war in eighty in nineteen eighty two, um, and uh, in retrospect we know that uh, we got into the in Lebanon for too many years and eventually we left after so many casualties, uh, not achieving much. I mean, thousands of people have died in Gaza, many of them children. Um, so do you think that, I mean, do you get the sense that the Israeli people are concerned about how much suffering is happening right now in Gaza? Some do, some don't. Uh, also, Israelis don't see the pictures from Gaza as much as uh, the international community sees it. Israelis are more focused on our pain. A lot of the international support that we get is because everybody understands that we have a full right to defend ourselves against a terror organization like Hamas, but that support might shrink dramatically if people feel that we um, don't differentiate between Hamas and innocent civilians in Gaza. There's a lot of support for Israel in Congress. But there's clearly a, a, a good amount of support for Palestinians as well, particularly among younger people and students. Um, how concerned are you that the U.S. might be getting closer to a, a tipping point on American support for Israel? Well, I tend to think, uh, unlike many Israelis and American Jews, that it is wrong to um, to kind of define this as Israelis against Palestinians. I consider myself pro-Israeli, a diehard Zionist uh, who served in the military, who have kids in the military, but I'm also very much for Palestinian rights. So for me, it's not a conflict bet uh, between Israeli and the Palestinians. It's a conflict between those who want peace and a solution and those who don't. And there are extremists on both sides. Of course, what Hamas did right now is unprecedented in terms of the brutality and the barbaric acts. Um, but I think it will be a mistake to assume that this is an Israeli-Palestinian thing. And I think America should be supporting both Israelis and Palestinians who want peace and help them get to a solution. Israel's a small country. I mean, do you know someone uh, directly affected by the October 7th attacks, someone who was taken hostage, someone who was killed? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I had family uh, among the dead. I participated already in funerals. I have uh, uh, friends and family in the hands of Hamas. Uh, many of the people in J Street 
know very personally uh, Vivian Silver, uh, a, pe a peace activist who's uh, probably in the hands of Hamas in Gaza, um, but also family as well. Yeah, and I think I'm, you know, I'm just one of many, and it's very personal for most Israelis. What should happen with Gaza after this war ends? Well, in the short term, there has to be some kind of international trusteeship that will uh, fill the vacuum that will remain after Hamas will be um, at least dismantled from some of their capabilities. And eventually, um, I think we should have an election uh, in Palestine that will produce a legitimate leadership for both Gaza and the West Bank. And I do believe that if this, uh, if the elections will be happening alongside the political horizon, majority of Palestinians will choose um, leaders that are for diplomacy and not for terrorism. Peace feels far off, um, and it seems like things will likely get worse before they get better. Um, when you look ahead to the medium term or, let's say, long term, I mean, what are your hopes for the future? How are you thinking about the future? Well, I, I was born an optimist uh, because I learned from both my father and my mentor, Shimon Perez, that people who change the world for the better are people who have a combination of a critical mind and hopeful heart. And also in this moment of tragedy, I believe that uh, um, the big embrace that we received from the U.S. Uh, and the understanding that we have to do something different on the Palestinian issue might translate this tragedy into an opportunity for uh, um, a big initiative that will help us uh, get out of this misery with uh, a diplomatic initiative uh, for uh, a two-state solution. And I believe that uh, if the U.S. will lead such an initiative, they will have the support of, of the entire world. They will have the support of, of most of our Arab neighbors, and eventually they will have the support of Israelis, not the ones in the government, but the, the majority of Israelis that were demonstrating against this government and, uh, and really understand that we have to uh, find a solution that is not just uh, war and war and war, uh, but to take the initiative for peace. When will we see a two-state solution? Predictions uh, are uh, not possible. I just know that if people that believe um, in Israel being the homeland of the Jewish people and a democracy at the same time, both in the U.S. and Israel, uh, have to work hard to make it happen uh, sooner rather than later. Because if we will not have a Palestinian state next to Israel, eventually Israel will have to choose between being a homeland for the Jewish people and the democracy. We won't be able to be both. And that's why uh, I think we have to work hard on this. And I, I, uh, what, what we're doing in J Street is trying to convince the, the legislators and the administration to make it an American priority um, that represent also the majority of the Jews in America who believe in the two-state solution. 
Nadav is the former Israeli Consul General to New England. He is now Director of J Street Israel. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Shirley. And thank you so much for the support of the American people in this very hard time for Israelis. More on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict after this short break. At Eastern Bank, we believe in good business. That's why we provide clients with a suite of products and services made to take their businesses to the next level. From express business loans to seamless cash management solutions, we make it easy to grow when the time is right. As a trusted full-service bank and the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running, we understand what you need to keep your business thriving. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com slash business. Member FDIC. In late 2007, the remains of a young woman from the Casca Nation were discovered in the Yukon woods. I always think about, I want to know what really happened. So I travel north to try to understand what happened and who was involved. It's a pretty big risk to come forward with the information that I have. I'm David Ritten, and this is Someone Knows Something, Season 8, The Angel Carlick Case. Available now. For another perspective, I'm now joined by historian Rashid Halidi of Columbia University. Rashid advised the Palestinian delegation to the Madrid and Washington Arab-Israeli peace talks in the early 1990s. He is the author of the book, The Hundred Years' War on Palestine. Rashid, welcome to Say More. Thank you for having me. What do you think is missing from the day-to-day coverage of this current conflict? Well, most importantly, context and history. I think also a fair and balanced understanding of uh, the weight of of suffering uh, on both sides. I mean, there's obviously suffering on, on, on on the side of Israel as a result of the attack, but that has been plastered almost exclusively to some extent on much in much of the mainstream media and the suffering of children and women and old people and other civilians in Gaza and other parts of Palestine especially Gaza I don't think has gotten quite the same attention but I I would I would go back and say an understanding of the fact that the world did not begin in Gaza on the 7th of October and that that is a place that has been a sort of distilled version of the entire Palestinian tragedy for 75 years is almost completely missing, I think. Why do you think there's been an imbalance in coverage? I mean, some of it is understandable. Uh, So many of the people who were killed at the outside, innocent civilians who were killed at the outside on the first day or two, have relatives here. So it is perfectly understandable that this have that this has a a enormous ripple effect in American society and, and obviously there are many Palestinian Americans those people don't have the same kind of weight in our society a political weight social weight cultural weight it's a much smaller group and it's a much less influential group so that part of it is understandable the other part of it is bias Obviously, you know, brown and Palestinian civilian lives just don't have the same weight in the eyes of many media executives, many university administrators, many companies, many politicians as white and Israeli lives. It's just 
a fact. I knew you could fill a whole book with this question, uh, but briefly, what is the history that you think people should know about Gaza? Well, first of all, they should know that the majority of the population of Gaza are not Gazans. I mean, there are Gazans. My cousin was married to a Gaza. Uh, most of the population of Gaza are people forced out of their homes in the southern part of what is Israel. And those homes were destroyed or taken over, and their land was taken from them. Those people were driven out of their homes and cooped up in the Gaza Strip. You don't start there. You're lying. You're lying. You're pretending that this is a, this is the situation that it's always been. It's not. We've seen a lot of blurring of the lines between references to Hamas's actions and references to Palestinian people. You know, that blurring makes it easier to justify the killing of civilians. Mm-hmm. So tell us tell us why that's wrong and, and do many Palestinians disagree with Hamas? I mean, it, it is wrong if you assume that the fact that Israelis voted for a government which argues the Palestinians don't exist and that they want to take over the entirety of the West Bank and incorporate it and annex it, annex it to Israel justifies behavior towards Israelis because the Israeli government does that. I mean, there's actually an element, I think, of the Hague Convention that says civilians are not responsible for what their governing authority does. And that should be true as true of Hamas, which controls the the Gaza Strip, as it should be of any government, the Israeli government or any other. Uh, Americans are not responsible for what their government does as civilians. They're protected persons in international humanitarian law. And of course, I think you're right. Yes, that that has been, that, that line in law has been blurred. Rashid, you are a Palestinian-American. What has it been like for you personally seeing what is happening in Israel and Gaza right now? I'm worried about members of my family who are there. Um, My niece has family in Gaza. My cousin has family in Gaza. She's not there, my my first cousin. But her house was hit. I have a student who's lost many family members, former students. We all know people who've lost people. The second thing has been the overwhelming one-sided support of our government and a bunch of the media for Israel and uh, a foregrounding of Israeli suffering and a backgrounding of Palestinian suffering. And by this, I'm talking about civilian suffering. The, the weight of that and the pressure in universities and other institutions to take a resolutely pro-Israel stand and to only foreground Israeli uh, uh, civilian losses it obviously weighs on people. It weighs on my students. It weighs on my colleagues. It weighs on my friends at other universities. And it's, it's happening in companies. It's happening, you know, it's happening within the government as far as we can tell. You can't say this. You must You must say that. You have to begin by saying Hamas terrorist atrocity before you can issue any statement about mental health of students or whatever it may be. Those kinds of things obviously weigh on people. And they, you know, they, they weigh on me. They weigh on everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so peace feels far off. I mean, things will get worse before they get better. So what are your hopes for the future? I mean, how are you thinking about the future? I mean, the future looks extremely bleak right now. We are in the beginning of a war, and only God knows how that war is going to end. And how it ends will have a great impact on whatever comes later. Um, will bitterness in Israel prevent keep Israel on a rightward course which is leading to the complete absorption of the occupied territories. If that process of absorption and annexation of the occupied territories is enhanced by this war, then there's no prospect of, a, of, a, of an easy, quick, 
resolution. And the same thing is true of Palestinians. The 5,000 people killed have tens of thousands of relatives. So far, there will be more, perhaps in the many thousands. And that's going to affect how Palestinians view Israel and Arabs view Israel. Most of the world doesn't live in the Western media sphere. We are not the world. America, Europe, United States, I should say, Europe and Japan, the richest countries in the world. We are not the world. The world is out there and they see this differently than the United States, Europe and its, its closest allies. And they see, they see Palestinians suffer. They see Israelis suffer. I mean, there's a great deal of sympathy. For, for Israelis, but they are also sympathy for Palestinians because in most of the world, which is not white, brown lives are the same as white lives. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, a lot depends on how Israelis process this 10 months from now or eight months from now. Do they realize that everything they're doing helped to produce this or do they not? You know, if they, if they regard the only tool they have as a hammer, we will continue to go down the spiral. So what should happen to Gaza after the war? I mean, what should ultimately happen is people who were made refugees in 75 years ago should have their lives made whole. They should be allowed to live somewhere outside this large open-air prison, which doesn't mean shipping them to Egypt, which to its utter and permanent disgrace, the United States helped to facilitate or tried to help facilitate and failed because the Egyptians and the Jordanians and all the Arab countries behind them uh, uh, issued a blanket refusal to collaborate in the further ethnic cleansing of Palestine, which the United States was trying to facilitate. That was an Israeli aim, get some of these people out of Gaza. Well, that's not the way to solve this. That's the way to create an eternal war. And it's a way to create people who are eternally aggrieved because they've been removed not once from their homes, but twice from their homes. I mean, what do you think about this two-state solution? I mean, is that, a, is that even a goal worth pursuing? I mean, it might have been. I spent the better part of two years trying to negotiate in, in Washington, in Madrid, and then in Washington. But if you want a two-state solution, anybody who wants a two-state solution has to tell me, how do, you, how do you undo the cementing over of the West Bank by Israel? How do you undo the exportation of, by Israel of three-quarters of a million of its population into colonial settlements in the West Bank and in East Jerusalem. It's not a matter of stopping it. It's a matter of undoing it. You have to reverse all of that. If you even want to begin a discussion that starts with two-state solution, the United States has facilitated that. The United States arms Israel to do that. The United States vetoes resolutions which, which speak to that. The United States allows tax freedom donations from 501c3 quote-unquote charitable organizations to fund the West Bank settler enterprise. We are settling. We are we engaged in the settlement project, and we, the United States, is engaged in this occupation project. You want to talk about <laughs> two-state solutions? The United States has to undo all the things it has done. Leave aside what Israel is doing. So we're so far away from that. Are you heartened at the level of support Palestinians are getting from people around the world? I am heartened by the fact that most of the world is not on the same page as Anglo-America, Europe, white settler colonies, okay, and Japan. Uh, I'm heartened by the fact that Arab public opinion has manifested itself again. And finally, I'm, I'm, I'm heartened by the, the changes on a generational level, especially in the United States. Younger, less white. Um, more diverse populations, in, which is the, the mass base, for example, of the Democratic Party, um, have shown much more understanding of the Palestinian narrative. 
than ever before. And while they may retain sympathy for Israel, they also have sympathy for the Palestinians, which is something entirely new in American politics. We never had anything like this in the whole history since Woodrow Wilson of any understanding that there even is a Palestinian narrative. And does this younger support, this newer support for Palestinians, does that give you some hope for the future? It does. I've I've said this for quite a while. I mean, what I see in the generations much, much younger than me is just represents a sea change from my generation and a generation or two after me. What you see now is just so, so, so different, Um, not just on college campuses. And they're not a terribly good barometer because they represent a part of the American elite, actually. But there you are. These are the kids who will one day, you know, grow up, the young people who will one day grow up and and presumably take their opinions with them. Um, So we'll see. But I am very heartened. Yes, very heartened. Rashid Khalidi is a Middle East historian at Columbia University. His recent book is called The Hundred Years War on Palestine. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Say More is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Anna Kusmer with help from Scott Hellman and Abby Kanina. Our editor is Jim Dow. Our engineer is Uzair Ahmed. Maggie Taylor is our marketing coordinator. Our music is from APM Music. If you like the show, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Email us at saymore at globe.com. I'm Shirley Leung. Thanks for listening. <laughs>